It was January 2nd, 2021. I still remember this day so clearly. It was gray outside, it was cold, and not much was going on outside. The kids of the school in front of my house were on Christmas holiday. And I was sitting on the couch and I just felt miserable. Now, I am an optimist to the bone, but that day, that 2nd January of 2021, I just couldn't feel it. Whenever I looked at the future, all I saw was one big black hole. And I didn't know what to do with it. Hey you guys, you're listening to another episode of This Expat Life. My name is Amanda Maxime and I will be your show host and coach for today. And in this episode, I want to share a very personal story, the story that shifted my whole world and that created the biggest change in my life. Now, I've shared this story before, snippets on social media, during a live event, and in one of the previous episodes where I shared more about what it was like for me to come home after Brazil. But I never shared this exact story, I think, in its full details. Um, So that's what I'm going to do today. I was inspired by one of my friends who shared her origin story, as marketeers call it. The origin story is the story where it all started for you. The start of your business, the start of something big in your life, and what had led to that. But actually, the real reason why I want to share this story today is because I shared it once during a live event that another friend and I hosted uh, in Amsterdam for expats, where we coached them on the cultural and personal dynamics of living abroad. And where I opened my part of the event with this personal story, much shorter, of course, and and fewer details. But what really surprised me and what I didn't see coming was that so many people were touched by it and it really helped them to open up as well. So that's why I'm going to share the story with you today, hoping that it will inspire you, sort of hoping that you will recognize yourself in it. Not too much, I hope, because it's a big story but that it will at least give you the feeling that you're not alone and maybe you can also find some strength in it. And if you're just curious to know more about me and what's driving me and how I got to the point where I am today, not business-wise, but just as a person, then this is also an interesting story for you, I think. So let's start. But before I take you back to that horrible 2nd January of 2021, let me first take you back to August 2020. I was still in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, where I was living and working as a diplomat for the Dutch government. Now, we all know 2020 was the year that the pandemic started and COVID had definitely kicked in by the time it was August in Brasilia. We were actually pretty lucky because the first few months of the pandemic, Brazil, some parts of Brazil were hit very hard, but Brasilia took measures really early on and the peak only came in July, August, just when I was leaving. So I had finished my three-year posting at the embassy and I was ready to go back home to the Netherlands. And when I say ready, I don't mean emotionally ready because I wasn't emotionally ready at all, but I had to go. This is the thing that you sign up for as a diplomat. You know postings come to an end. And in August 2020, it was time to get everything packed and be shipped back home. And while I was so sad to say goodbye to Brazil, I was really having the time of my life there. I was also somewhat excited for this new chapter in my life. Because a few months before, I had actually flown back to the Netherlands in the middle of the pandemic. Yes, it was possible to buy a house. 
I actually already knew that I wanted to quit my job and start my own business. And since I still had a fixed contract, I figured it would be really good to buy a house now so I can easily get a mortgage because as an entrepreneur, especially as a starting entrepreneur, it's much more difficult. And I also needed a place to live in, right? So in May, I had flown back for a couple of weeks and then bought a house. So in August, as I was getting ready for my move, I was also excited about this new phase in my life as a homeowner, knowing that I was going to start my business soon, knowing that I was going to start my coaching course to be trained as a coach soon as well. So it was an exciting chapter for me, although I knew I was going to miss Brazil. But yeah, if it were up to me, I would have definitely stayed another six or 12 months. But unfortunately, it wasn't. So mid-August, I said goodbye to everyone and everything in Brazil. And actually, here's a little tip on the side. If you leave a country, make sure to not only say goodbye to people, but also to the country itself and maybe the house that you lived in. A lot of people actually don't like to say goodbye, so they prefer to just leave instead of really rounding up that relationship that you had with someone or with something. But it's really good to say goodbye in a proper way because it helps for closure. And personally, I believe this is not just for people, but also for the places where you lived. So in August, just before my flight back home, I was really saying goodbye to every single room in my house in Brasilia. I had a perfect last evening on my balcony, watching the beautiful Brasilia sky. And like I said, I was sad to leave, but I felt I was saying goodbye to it. So I hopped on the plane and then arrived in the Netherlands, stayed with a very good friend of mine in The Hague for the first two weeks. While I was waiting for my house to become available, I had to go to the notary first and also to have it painted, etc. And then early September, I moved back in and I believe it was in the, almost in the same week, I also started a new job at the ministry. So instead of having another posting abroad, I signed up for a posting at the headquarters, doing a job at the ministry, not at an embassy. So those two things were already pretty big. All of a sudden, I didn't live abroad anymore. My whole identity of, you know, the diplomat who lived in Brazil wasn't up to date anymore. I was just a regular Dutch girl who had bought a house and had moved in and who had started a new posting at the ministry. And I had to set up this whole new life again, whereas all my friends, you know, they had their lives and they were settled and everything. So if you've ever moved back home after being abroad, you know how it is. So on top of that, it was also the new job. So it was already a pretty uh, dynamic, I wouldn't say challenging, but just a, a dynamic week of new beginnings. But then something happened that completely crumbled my world. And that was the kickstart that eventually led to that 2nd January of 2021. In early September, we got the call that my dad was in the hospital and that it was serious. Now, he was in the hospital more often, I think in the last few years, almost every year. And so my sister and I were like, oh, okay, it's happening again. And my dad was alone. He didn't have so many friends left. We were his only daughters. So it was always up to us to, to take care of him and to make sure that he was okay. But this time it turned out it was much more serious than previously. He needed an urgent but very complex operation, and this wasn't possible in the hospital where he initially was taken in. So in another hospital, they had to put together a team of doctors who could do this more complex operation and come up with a plan, etc. He was still conscious. I went to visit him every day in the hospital. We talked, but we knew it was serious. Like if the operation would fail, 
or if anything happened beforehand, it was game over, basically. He had, if I'm not mistaken, it's funny how I forgot this, but he had a ruptured vein. So it needed to be fixed. And if it would rupture more, he would die almost on the spot. But he got to that new hospital. They found an amazing team and they did the surgery. And I got a call from the doctor saying, good news, the surgery went well. We checked on a few possible complications. So far, it looks fine. We're just waiting for him to wake up to see if some nerves are working. So I thought, great, that's fine. I remember actually, uh, I had a meeting with a colleague just after that and said, oh, good news, my dad is fine. So I was really happy. Then a couple of hours later, I realized I actually still hadn't heard back from the hospital. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to call them because it's been like five hours and he should have woken up by now. I got a nurse on the phone who said, oh, they're just with your dad. You'll be called back soon. And then, I don't know, 10 minutes later, I got a call from another doctor who basically, but not really specifically, told me that my dad had died. And it was the weirdest sensation. I still remember so clearly where I was sitting at the table in my house. And he didn't say those words, your father passed away. But I really had to read between the lines. And it's the weirdest sensation. And maybe if you've been through something similar, you know how it feels. But it's like a slow realization that slowly, slowly dawns on you. But you, there's one part that already understands it. And then there's a whole other big part that doesn't understand it at all. It's very weird and very slow. So, yeah, of course, eventually it hit me. And I realized, okay, my dad has died. And it was weird because the fact that he was in the hospital was already something that we didn't expect. Then the surgery went well. And then the fact that he had suddenly died and the doctors didn't, couldn't actually know why was even more unexpected. And it was a very weird realization like, okay, he's gone. Now, I will spare you the other details, but the following week and weeks actually were just the weirdest because all of a sudden you are grieving, but you're also the one who has to take care of everything together with your sister. You have to pack up a whole big house with a lot of stuff. <laughs> My dad had so much stuff. You have to take care of financial things. Um, and this was all while I had just moved into a new house and started a new job. So I was working there and I think already after a week I had to say, I'm sorry, I can't come to work for at least a couple of days. And what I remember so vividly was that I was grieving my dad. I really missed him and I felt so overwhelmed. But at the same time, I wasn't at home because I was in a house that wasn't my home that didn't even have curtains and some lights weren't even attached. So just imagine that you just changed country, moved into a new house, and then something so big happens and you're not at home. So to me, it felt like I had no more solid ground beneath my feet. My whole world was collapsing. This is how it felt to me. It was a very dark, deep hole that I was sinking into and it was so hard to hold on to something. It was just so overwhelming and it just felt so unfamiliar. So yes, I was with my friends. Yes, I was with my family and I was in my home country, but I was in a context that I hadn't made mine yet. And then when something so big happens, it's just, you know, it's very difficult to hold on to something. Those were the first two weeks or so, two, three weeks. But then later, more things happened. Not all of them really bad. And I have to say, even in this overwhelm, you know, it was still summer. I could still laugh. I could still make jokes. But at nights, for example, I couldn't sleep, missing my dad and just crying and crying and crying. 
grief is not a constant sadness, but it comes in waves. And in between those waves, you can sometimes come up to grasp for air and to feel good, but then another wave hits you. And this was how the first two, three weeks went for me. And actually what I was doing in those waves was something I had done all my life, but which I didn't know at the time. And that was feeling for a little bit and then move on. I would feel a wave of sadness and then I would feel calm again and I felt fine. I was just forward looking and I thought I was in touch with my emotions, but I wasn't. But that's something that I only figured out later. Because in those weeks that followed, more things happened, like I said. For example, I started my coaching training. This was three weeks after my dad had died. And I had already signed up for it when I was in Brazil. I was so excited to start it. But I also knew, okay, this is going to be hard. This is going to be deep, especially now that my dad has died. And I remember the very first training day. We were asked to all bring something that I think was important to us or something or that symbolized something. I can't remember what it was. But what I had brought was a feather of a macaw. So my dad had two macaws. And the second actually just died a couple of weeks before my dad died. And um, they were there before I was born. So I grew up with these two macaws. And then in Brazil, I had so many macaws flying around every morning. And it was the thing that made me the happiest. I love seeing these beautiful birds. I love waking up to the sound of them and seeing them in their freedom. And I always shared photos and videos of them with my dad. And my dad kept saying, you have to feed them so they come to you. <laughs> yeah, that's not really how it works. But one of the photos that I took back then, we actually used on a funeral card. So that feather that I brought with me was a symbol of several things. Of my dad, of the painful period, but also of a beautiful period that I had in Brazil. And of my childhood as well. And as I wanted to explain why I brought that feather, I started to sob. and. You must know something about me. One-on-one, -on -one, I'm great, I'm funny, I talk a lot, but in groups, I'm quiet, I'm observing. I prefer to have others speak first, make sure it's safe. This is something that I realize that I subconsciously do. It's not something I do consciously. And, you know, if I feel safe, then I open up. So that sobbing in front of 12, no, 14 strangers was something so unusually me, but I couldn't help myself. It was too overwhelming. And I could barely breathe. And they told me, Amanda, put both your feet on the floor, lean into your chair. Can you feel the chair and can you lean into it? And if you can, can you feel someone's support in it? And that was a beautiful intervention they did because it really helped me to ground a little more and to not drown in my emotions. So yeah, that was the start of my coaching training, which was going to be like that for nine months and it went way deeper than what we did that first day but more about that later another thing that had happened was also that i fell in love with someone i was selling some furniture of my dad i opened the door and there was a guy and i immediately felt like oh wow and it was to me love at first sight Later, I learned that if you feel a very strong attraction to someone, it could very well be that you're triggering a trauma wound, <laughs> which I now know it was. Um, that's details for another podcast. But I very quickly fell head over heels for this guy. He also really became my biggest support during that time. Very practically, actually. He helped us clean out my dad's house. He took care of uh, hanging up those lamps I still hadn't had in my house. He helped me choose curtains. He took care of some like 
minor construction things in my house, things I couldn't do myself and for which I also no headspace to delegate to someone else or to contract someone. So it was really nice that he did all those things for me. And also emotionally, he was there for me. He just let me talk. He let me cry. And so very, very quickly, in just a couple of weeks, he became super important to me. But then out of the blue, completely out of the blue, he also broke up with me. And this was just a few weeks after we had fallen in love. But I was so deep into it and the grief was still so present that it just hit me so incredibly hard. I felt so lost. We then got back together again and things were better and we were supposed to celebrate Christmas together. I was going to stay at his house for a week or so. And just before Christmas, he also broke up with me again. And again, I just felt horrible. So here I was just before Christmas with no Christmas plans, with a father who passed away, a mother I barely spoke to, and other families already having their own plans. And don't forget, this was also in the middle of the pandemic. And actually, we were in lockdown by the time it got Christmas. So we were only allowed to invite one or two people at once in our houses. And that was actually a curfew. So after 9 p.m., you had to be at home. Now, let me tell you, if you are grieving, this is the worst context that you can have. Because after the first grief, the first stage or stages, I don't really know, at some point you want to have some distraction. You want to have some lightness in your life again, that things start to feel light and just joyful. You want to not think about everything that happened and you want to not feel all the emotions all the time. So, you know, going out for some drinks or meeting new people or exercising or going on a trip, whatever. But all of those things weren't possible. And because we were only allowed to meet one-on-one, basically, automatically you have much deeper conversations. And in my case, those were very difficult conversations because it brought up all the grief. And you couldn't have just like um, a fun night out with a big group of friends. So everything felt super, super heavy and lonely that time. Because every evening I was home alone again with my two beautiful cats. They actually had a richer social life than I had at that moment. And so with Christmas, I didn't really know what to do. Eventually I went to my foster family, but there were a few things that happened over Christmas that was really a culture shock to me because I was really shocked with some lack of welcoming by a few people uh, that would have never, ever happened in Latin America. So that was a really big culture shock for me. But okay, you know, I survived Christmas. I went to do my annual goal setting, which really boosted my mood for a couple of days. And also New Year's Eve was fine. I celebrated it with a friend. But then it was that 2nd January of 2021. And I had just thrown out my Christmas tree out of my house. I was so sick and tired of it. I didn't want to see it anymore. I thought I was ready for the new year. But as I looked outside, I just saw this grayness. All these gray clouds. It was raining. It was cold. It was miserable. It was quiet. And like I said, I'm an optimist to the bone. I truly believe that the future is always going to be better. But that day, I just couldn't feel it. And I just felt this big black hole that I was sinking into more and more. And I didn't recognize myself in it. This is not how I was. And I just felt so miserable and so lonely. And if I talk about it, I can still see this day so clearly where I was sitting on my couch and feel the pain that I felt back then. I didn't know what to do. 
And for so many nights in a row, I was just crying while taking a hot bath because there was nothing else that I could do. I felt horrible. But in hindsight, that perfect storm where everything came together of my dad's passing, my heart that got broken, my soul digging coaching journey, and the pandemic that prevented me from going outside and finding distraction was actually a blessing in disguise. Because actually what was going on was that I couldn't run away anymore. And something that I hadn't realized up until then was that I was always so forward-looking. I was always focusing on the future, always looking ahead. And I realized in that painful moment and during my coaching training that it was a way of not feeling, of pushing my feelings away. And I think this has started as a very early age. So maybe you've heard me talk about it sometimes. I'm pretty open about it with people that I know face-to-face. But I grew up in a, yeah, dysfunctional family, I would say. My mom became an alcoholic, and I don't know exactly when that happened, but I think I was around five or six. She went to rehab a couple of times and she just didn't get better. So when I was 10 or 11, my father decided to divorce her and we stayed with my dad. Now, I have very, very few memories of my childhood up until that point. And this is one clue for me that I really pushed so many feelings away because when you are a kid and something is going on around you or is happening to you, and it's too much to handle, there are ways to disassociate, to not feel the emotions because they are too overwhelming for a kid or because a kid doesn't really understand what's going on. So me not remembering so many parts of my childhood is probably because it was too much for me as a kid. To see your mom going to rehab, to see her drunk. I was told later by my dad that when my sister and I came back home uh, in our lunch breaks that often there was no food for us because my mom was in her bed sleeping in the middle of the day, uh, probably nursing a hangover or something. But I don't remember these things. But clearly it wasn't a warm, safe environment for a kid. My parents also had a lot of fights, some of which I do remember, which wasn't pleasant to view it at all. Then we both stayed with my dad, and then my dad eventually turned into an alcoholic as well. And he was more of an unpredictable drinker. So if I would go to bed at night, I would never know how I was going to wake up with a dad that was normal and sweet, and that would take care of me, or with a dad that was drunk downstairs. Now, I'm not going to share many more details because this is my story and I don't mind sharing it, but it also involves other people. But you can imagine that this wasn't good as a kid to grow up in. And this is also when I was 15, I moved out of the house and I stayed with my aunt and uncle um, for a little bit, then with another family and then back with my aunt and uncle. So I have these two foster families who really mean the world to me. So while I rationally could always talk so openly about my childhood, and I remember people complimenting me saying, oh, but you are so normal despite how you grew up. I always thought, and I, you know, I went to some psychologists, so I always thought like, oh, I dealt with my childhood, it's all fine. But what I realized in that perfect storm was that I had dealt with it on a rational level and not on an emotional level or physical level even, because stress is also stored in the body. And yeah, when you are grieving and there's a pandemic going on and you can't leave and your heart gets broken and you're also being trained as a coach, which means they look at everything that you are, 
you can't really escape from it. And all that pain that was coming all at once was basically too much for me to handle. And so whereas I would normally go away, literally, I would book a flight or something or move abroad again. That was my favorite coping mechanism without realizing it. I couldn't do that. I couldn't go anywhere. So my forward-looking attitude and my unintentional pushing away of feelings, that coping mechanism wasn't working because it was too much to take in. It was too much to push away. And because there was a pandemic, there was also no distraction for me possible. There was no trip that I could take. There was no country to move abroad to. And so, whereas I would normally maybe touch upon it a little bit and then move aside so I could move forward again, this time the only way was through it. I had to go through that perfect storm. I couldn't run away from it anymore. So in those months, October, November, December, January, February, March, <laughs> it took a long time, I was just feeling all the feels. Basically, that was what was going on. I cried a lot, I felt my emotions, I got more connected to my body and to my emotions to not only rely on my brain. And this was really due to the fact that I finally made space for it, that I had the time to process all these things. So the pandemic, in hindsight, was actually a good thing that happened to me. But also my coaching training, because what I really liked about this training, which took nine months, two days a month, was that the first modules were really about us, the coaches that were being trained. Because they say you can't be a good coach and guide someone if you don't know yourself. Because you need to know what triggers you, what view of the world you have, because otherwise you can't really neutrally help someone else. So those first few months were really about us and they were deep dives, <laughs> very deep. So many tears were shed during those modules and not just by me, by the way. Everyone went really deep. And I liked what they shared, uh, I think at the beginning, was that imagine there is, you are standing somewhere and there is a cliff, but you can see the other side. And you know, I want to or I need to get to that other side. So can I just jump over it, over the cliff and get to the other side? This is what most people want to do. But what we have to realize, and this is the lesson that I learned, that first we actually have to climb down, 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 experience all the lows there, so we can then climb up with a backpack that is much fuller, much richer, which will prepare you much more for that journey onwards. We often want to skip the lows, but this is what we need for our journey in life, to really enrich ourselves and to really get closer to who we truly are beneath all our triggers and our masks that we wear. So that combination of having so much time and doing this coaching training in hindsight worked really, really well for me. But if I look at photos of myself in that period, you know, I remember walking on the beach one day and I took a selfie and I see someone who is struggling. I see someone who has gone through a lot and who can see the other side already, but who is still at that low part. And I wasn't just processing my feelings of the things that were going on at that time, but I was also really processing the emotions of my childhood. So for the first time ever, really, I really connected to that part of my life. I connected to the little girl, Amanda, who didn't feel safe at home, who lived in a house where everything was super unpredictable. 
where I couldn't rely on my caretakers for some of my basic needs as a kid. And to give you an example of what that looked like, um, before coming to the Netherlands, I realized in a sort of relationship that I was suffering from fear of abandonment. So that was the first realization that I had of this topic. Okay, I think I have this. And in the months that followed, I realized it more and more. And slowly I started to see when I got triggered. So first, only afterwards, you know, I, I could see, oh, actually I got triggered in that moment. And then I responded that way. Once you are aware of things, it also ha helps you to change things. So I tried mentally to not be so affected by my fear of abandonment. So if I felt triggered, I would just tell myself, no, you shouldn't feel triggered. Um, just look at it objectively. He's not going to abandon you, although he did in this case. Um, so it was really like a mental, rational approach trying to calm myself down. But what happens, like I said before, trauma is often stored in the body. So I could tell myself rationally all these things. Emotionally and physically, I still felt the fear. And what has changed everything for me was to connect to that part inside of me that got so triggered all the time. And I think it was coming from that little Amanda who saw her mom going to rehab. Now, I can't validate this because I don't have so many memories anymore. But inside, I feel it is connected to that phase, to that age, to when I was still like five or six or seven. And the feeling that I have as an adult is, no, don't leave me because I won't survive this. This is how strong it felt. And when it feels so big and overwhelming and that your whole world is collapsing, well, to me and to my trainers, that was a sign that, hey, this is probably coming from somewhere else. Because when you're a kid and your caretaker or parent goes away, then that can feel like the end of everything. So what I did during so many hot bath sessions of crying, I really connected to that fear. So instead of pushing it away with a rational approach, because that's also what happens when you just take things with that rational approach, you also push your feelings away. I really connected to that fear and I felt, can I just be with the fear? Can it just be here? And can I be okay with it? And where do I feel it in my body? And it was painful. It was, I was in panic sometimes. Like it was really tough for me, that process. But eventually, when I did that more and more and I connected more to that part, I felt so much lighter. I felt so much better and I learned to be okay with it. So nowadays, of course, sometimes I still get triggered by things or I can feel a first response, but then right away I can feel it's okay because that's a little girl who was alone and I got her back. She doesn't need to feel afraid anymore. And even if I feel the fear, I just let it be there. I just tell myself it's okay to feel this. There's no need for me to push it away. Okay, I thought it was going to be a short origin story, but it's turning into a much longer story as always. But I just wanted to give you a concrete example of how that looks, because often we talk about like, oh, just feel your emotions and it will feel better. But sometimes it helps to know how that looks for someone concretely. So maybe by hearing this fear of abandonment story, it can help you as well. So very, very slowly, it turned spring. It was a horrible cold winter. And very slowly, I also started to feel better. There was more light in my life, quite literally, but also physically, emotionally, mentally, I just felt lighter. I still wasn't there, but I felt better. Now, a 
setback came when in April I got the news that a dear friend of mine and a former colleague of mine who was still in Brazil had died of COVID. And oh, it was right away like, bam, you're back in the grief. And that was also hard, but also complex because, and this is definitely something that I will record another episode about, um, it's difficult to grieve someone when there's a distance between you two or when one of the two has moved back home or to another country, it feels like it's a different life. So it's actually really weird, but sometimes I still can't believe that he died because to me, he's still part of my life in Brasilia that I had left behind. But what I don't realize is that he left as well, only to leave from this entire world altogether. So that was a setback. I also got back with that guy again, then we broke up again, so that was another setback. But this time I felt like, no, it's, we're done. <laughs> I need to move forward. This is not good for me. All in all, I think, you know, by the time summer came around, I was starting to feel better and it had taken a year or so. And like I said, I felt so much lighter. And this was also really because I went through all these emotions, not just the grief, but also the emotions of my childhood. I processed them much more on a much deeper level. So with every painful process that I went through, I also came out of it feeling as if I had let go of weight that was really on my shoulders. That summer was also when I decided to quit my job. Um, I was talking to a friend about it and I was saying that from Monday to Friday I still felt so miserable and I felt like nothing had changed compared to a year ago. I was waiting for the perfect moment, I guess. I spoke about this before in a previous episode and obviously I wasn't going to start a business while I was in the middle of my grief. But when summer came around, I was still kind of waiting for the moment that I was feeling better and that I was ready to start my business. But during that conversation, I realized, you know what? We're a year later and nothing has changed for me. And life is short. This is something that I realized in the last couple of years with several friends who passed away way too early. Life is short. So if I don't make a move now, when is it going to change for me? It's really up to me. So I decided to quit my job. I went on holiday to Ecuador. I started my company and things were looking good for me again. I felt so much better. Now... This went on and with every month I felt better and better and by now it was 2022 and I fell in love with someone again. I was dating, the days were getting longer, it was a really good summer so every day I went to the beach and I felt finally, finally I arrived. I arrived at this place where I thought I was going to be when I moved back home from Brazil. The place of feeling at home in The Hague of enjoying where I was, of starting my business, of being in love with someone, I felt good. And I thought, okay, it took me a while, but I'm much wiser than two years before and I'm feeling good. Life is good. Bring it on. Well, life brought it on, but not in a good way. Because in early July of that year, I got another unexpected call and this time my mom had passed away. My mom and I didn't have so much contact. She moved out of the house when I was 11 and I saw her once a week um, at my grandma's. But actually over the year, she started to show up less and less. And we, she called me very often, but that also grew less and less. And I, of course, also reached out to her, but it always felt like something I had to do, like an obligation, something not very fun. 
But actually, after my dad had died, I reached out to her more because I realized, you know, there is so much that I don't know about her, about my dad, about their marriage, about my childhood. And I feel there is so much that needs to be processed that I don't know, that I don't remember. It's good to talk to her about it. So I asked her to write something down, all the things that she remembered from my childhood and from their marriage. And she did, which was really nice, actually. And so we had more contact and it was nicer. And she also came to visit me with her husband in The Hague. And yeah, I felt like, okay, she's not a mom figure in my life. I don't know what exactly she is, but I'm glad that our relationship is getting somewhat better. But she was also still heavily drinking, but I hadn't realized how bad it was. And in early July, I was in Barcelona on my way to the airport. I just had a beautiful couple of days with my good friends there. And I was heading home earlier because um, I actually had a goodbye party for my former employer still after COVID. And I got a call from um, my mom's husband and he never calls me. So I asked right away, like, what is going on? And he told me, your mom is dead. And he was still in shock. And I was on the bus in Barcelona and I just started sobbing and people were helping me and going through security. A woman hugged me. Everyone was so kind to me, but I was in shock as well. And, and that period that followed was really complex because grief often happens because you miss someone so you're being reminded by something and then you realize oh but he or she isn't here anymore i had that very often with my dad i even a year later i had a thought like oh i'm just gonna drop by at his place and then i thought oh no but uh, he doesn't live there anymore because he's dead it was a weird realization but with my mom i didn't have that because she wasn't really present in my life so there wasn't much to be missed and also, she didn't want to have a funeral. Her network was incredibly tiny. It was just me, her husband, and a handful of other people. And moreover, she had decided to donate her body to science. And as I was flying back home, I was too late to say goodbye to her. They, I don't know why this is, but they are in a hurry to collect the body. I've heard this more often from other people. And so I couldn't say goodbye to her, not in like a physical way, not through a ritual. Um, so that was really difficult for me. And I decided to create my own little ceremony to say goodbye. But also in the weeks that followed, it was difficult because, like I said, I didn't have that natural moment to miss her, to grieve her, but then my head knew it. So then I got through to my grief in a very rational way again through my head. So it was complex. In some parts, it also felt more difficult than my dad's passing because when my dad passed away, I got so many flowers and cards. And with my mom, it stayed very silent. My friends were amazing, by the way. Um, but from some people, I also got like some jokes as they thought of it. And yeah, that wasn't nice to hear because I really felt but like, hey, this is my mother you're talking about and she died. I was also really surprised sometimes with the lack of questions around it. So it felt like there was a very big contrast between the two and I could really feel the difference because it was only two years apart or less even. So it was difficult because it was so complex. But we were also almost two years later and I could see the change that I had made in myself. 
So this time I really said right away, okay, I need to take time off because I don't want to go forward anymore. I need to stand still. I need to pause and I need to go inside and, and stay in touch with my emotions. And that's what I really did. And actually by that time I had started my second coaching training, senior practitioner school course. I'm really afraid to start another course with these guys because every time I do, someone dies. Um, but the group there and the trainers there were really there to support me as well. So that was amazing. And the senior course also had different methods and approaches, uh, coaching approaches than the first one. And the second one was much more, I don't know, to the core, I would say, with systemic work and working with emotions and the body. So that was really good for me to process everything. And because I had changed so much in those two years and because of that support that I found, I was really able to go through my grief very differently than the first time. So not pushing it away, not trying not to feel everything, but really staying present and really allowing myself to feel the feels. It was a huge difference. And this was really the result of me diving into that perfect storm just two years before. And now it's January, 2024. I'm in Rio, I'm back in Brazil. I spent three and a half years back home. A lot has happened. Like I said, my parents died. My grandma also died. I had two painful breakups. And if I look at myself now, I'm just so proud of myself because I have changed so much in a good way and not changed by becoming another person, but I became me, who I really was beneath all the masks that I had put on in my life, beneath my rational approach, beneath my forward-looking drive, I have peeled off layers and I have become me more and more. And if I can summarize it in one phrase, how I feel right now within myself, it's I came home within myself, truly, deeply, I feel it. I honestly feel that no matter what happens, no matter where I am, I can rely on myself. I feel this deep inner trust that I know I'm going to be okay, no matter what happens. And I knew my entire life already that I was strong, but what I had to learn was also how to be soft. And now that I can combine these two, it feels really, really good. I rarely feel fear. I'm not afraid to put myself forward, to chase my dreams, to take the decisions that make me happy, to go for the bold moves. I feel I can be myself wherever I am. And I'm not afraid to show myself anymore because I just know this is me and I've got nothing to hide. And I know my triggers, I know my patterns and I know my flaws and the not so nice things about me. And I also know where they're coming from and what I can do about it. And so it feels naked, but in a very good way. Like I don't have to lose energy anymore over pretending someone that I'm not on putting a mask on even when I wasn't aware of it at the time. I'm not losing energy anymore because I can just be me. And so I feel so at home within myself and it is a beautiful thing. And it is something that I wish to you as well. So you as well can go through life in a lighter way, in a more joyful way, in a more authentic way in a way that allows you to do the things that you truly want to do, to go after your deepest desires and your biggest dreams, to have honest and deep connections with everyone around you, and to really feel that feeling of, hey, no matter what happens, I know I'll be okay because I can rely on myself. 
Now, if you want to experience that too, I obviously highly recommend coaching. It has worked wonders for me. And if you feel after hearing my story that this is something that you could use as well, even if your story is entirely different, but you feel that there's something still to be processed before you can live that authentic life, then know that my door is always open to you. I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching online for expats and globetrotters who are ready for a deep dive and who want to discover themselves on a deeper level so that they can live a life they feel truly happy in. I will help you look at your patterns, your blocks, your emotions. I will help you make space for everything that you've been subconsciously pushing away. Because that pushing away takes a lot of energy. And imagine if you can let go of the pushing and use that energy for things that make you truly happy. Ah, life is going to be so good then. If you want to know more, I offer free discovery calls. And I will put the link in the show notes and you can just book them online. They are 45 minutes. And in those discovery calls, first, I will be an objective listening ear. I will have space for your story. And for many of the people who had a discovery call, that part already felt so relieving that they were finally able to really tell their story to a stranger, basically. So there were no hidden interests or certain sensitivities that they needed to take into account. They could just tell their story to someone who has no interest in any outcome of that story. I will also ask you questions so we can go a little bit deeper so that I can also help you to have some new insights already. Many people also had those aha moments in the discovery call already. And wherever I can, I will give you some practical tips and mindset shifts. So as a coach, I actually don't tell you what to do. I don't give you advice, although sometimes I make a suggestion. But in a discovery call, if I hear something that I have a very practical tip for that you can apply right away, I will share it with you because I want you to make a change in the very short term already. And maybe I can also show you another perspective. So this helps you to have that mindset shift. And I will also share more about how I work. And so you can really tell if this is something of interest to you or not. And the discovery call is also great to see if your situation or questions actually really fit for coaching, because sometimes you might need a psychologist or perhaps a mentor. Um, not everything is suitable for coaching. So this also helps us to see like, hey, is this something that you and I could both work on? And if so, is there also a match between us? So like, do we see ourselves working together for three to four months? Because the coaching journey that I offer can be a little bit intense sometimes as intense as you'd like, but you get six online coaching sessions in three to four months and also unlimited WhatsApp support in between. So I'm really there for your growth if you want to. So if you want to hear more about my coaching and get in contact, click on the link in the show notes and I would really love to see your face soon on my screen. And what I would also love is to hear more about your origin story. So what is your story that changed everything for you? What was a low that you had to go through first to get to that other side? Maybe a low that you had preferred to skip or jump over, but that you actually went through. What caused that shift in how you now look at things or how you now do things? I would really love to hear because I'm a very curious person and I love hearing other people's stories. So please don't hesitate to share it with me. Uh, send me a DM on Instagram or LinkedIn and I will respond to it. Okay, beautiful people, time to wrap this episode up. I hope you enjoyed the story and got some inspiration from it and maybe see you soon in a discovery call. Have a beautiful day wherever you are.